Welcome to a podcast on fire on Drive. And 20 years ago, in my opinion, the best American-produced Hong Kong action film was released. In a compromised form, mind you, but it's since been able to play on its own terms. And that movie is Steve Wang's Drive from 1997, starring Mark Dacascos, Kadeem Hardison and the late Brittany Murphy. And as fans of... Uh, Hong Kong cinema, which is what we usually cover on this show. It's a delight to be talking of uh, when other filmmakers and craftsmen and uh, actors do Hong Kong style well. And uh, I'm Kenny B, and with me to uh, discuss this is the Grand Master Abbot of the Podcast on Fire Network, the creator of the untitled Asian movie podcast uh, that became not the podcast Cometh, thank God, but Podcast on Fire. And he's now the co-host of his very own podcast uh, that's uh, on, running on its uh, third and uh, or second or third year. It's called Films and Swearing and he's called Stuart Sutherland. Say hi buddy. Alright love, how's it going? Merry Christmas because that's <laughs> when we normally get you on. Exactly, yes. <laughs> Is it already Christmas? Like there could be a crude joke the fact that I only come once a year but It's not this week in Sleaze Behave Yourself but We won't rise to it. I can trick you in like, uh, let's talk some fucking It's this week in Sleaze, haha! It's a ruse. But no, uh, this movie wouldn't fit into uh, this week in Sleeves mold. Uh, Obviously, it does Mm, fit in the podcast on fire mold a little bit better. I mentioned your podcast. You're still going to have to plug first of all. uh, For people who do not know what Films and Swearing is about, tell tell the people and tell the people where to find you. Films and Swearing is a weekly podcast where me and my lifelong best friend, Andrew Walker, more or less just sit down, talk about films. We'll change the formula every once in a while, but this year we're more or less just run through what films we want to talk about and which ones our loyal fans are suggesting to us. Past couple of weeks it has been Into the Dragon, Dirty Harry. Tonight will be Jumanji when we record, and I'm then going to have my pick, which will be The Train to Busan. Okay, well, a little bit of what's Korean cinema in there. Just in to support the UK release of the film and being kind enough to send us a Blu-ray. Like, shit, that comes out next week. We better watch it now. <laughs> yeah, well, are, are they pressuring you to deliver deliver on a release date or that's just how you work? No, yes, that's, that's the way I'm sort of programmed. I will do my best to get out on time if it's nearly, if it's one day after it's released and I haven't done it, it'll probably never get done because it's last and I'm now looking for the next thing to worry about. And as for the rest of the contact information, this is uh, not what's Korean cinema. It's Podcast on Fire on Drive on the Podcast on Fire network. We're available on podcastonfire.com along with other shows on Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, sleazy cinema. We do commentaries every now and again. And we talk about uh, ninja movies. And this show is uh, mostly Hong Kong movies, new and old. And we also do bonus episodes every now and again. Email us if you have any questions or feedback. I'm sure you've uh, seen a version of Drive at least. Um, and uh, you can email us at podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Stu is the recipient of the email, so please be nice to him. And don't send him any any uh, any any stuff uh, and make his life <laughs> as a uh, mail sorter difficult, if you will. And uh, does anyone even have googlemail.com anymore? Do they even hand out those anymore? Uh, we've had emails from them before saying we would really appreciate it if you would like click on this button and change your account to Gmail, but I still just don't. For some reason, they don't have the power to change it themselves. Fuck you! I won't do what you tell me. Fuck you! I exactly. Won't do you... <laughs> I'll sell it to you. Okay, exactly. If you're so <laughs> desperate to get it out of the way, but. Uh, but uh, at any rate, uh, we're available on social media. Click the handy buttons at the top of our website, leading first to our Facebook uh, presence. Uh, it will lead to our page, but you can also uh, search Podcast on Fire Network on Facebook to find a group. So welcome in to see updates and, in general, good nature discussion and banter. Click Twitter for our uh, Twitter presence, uh, the Twitter button. Uh, there's a button for iTunes that will lead you to our feed. Subscribe rate and even leave a written comment and finally click the stitcher radio button that will lead you to their website where you can search out our shows for streaming but you can also download applications available on the apple app store and google play for uh, podcast on fire network on the go 
And I review Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies mostly on SoGoodReviews.com. A specific, specific focus on that as well as these uh, Godfrey Ho Cut and Paste Ninja movies. But I uh, touch upon a variety of genres over at SoGoodReviews.com. And I do basic video reviews over at SleazyKVideo.com. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. I, I finally actually um, succumbed to the fact that there's too much on my plate, man. I have to take away something. Uh, at the time of recording... Uh, I'm uh, taking this uh, free course at the Hong Kong University, uh, uh, Hong Kong Cinema Through a Global Lens. I've heard bits about it. And it's uh, it's free. It's uh, pretty enlightening. I mean, uh, it's of stuff I know, but it enhances, it has enhanced my critical thinking a little bit, um, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing considering it's a free course. Um, and uh, I realized that I haven't been to school in 20 years, man. So, uh, mm. And I, I didn't really like school as such either uh, i was a sort of average student uh, but it's uh, it just requires like focus and uh, structure and uh, i felt like writing can be negated for a little while as i focus on on this course that i might fail who knows but um the aim is to get a decent little grade in the end so it's it, it's something new to do right exactly expanding my comfort zone but anyway, um, I am uh, doing uh, uh, writing a video reviewing normally anyway. And uh, that's our plugs for now. We'll do a little musical break. And after that, we'll review the only review of this episode. And the reason is that Stewie, speaking of busy, is a busy man. He's a podcaster and a father. And uh, the cats don't take care of themselves all the time either. <laughs> so you got to look after, the, look after the family and the podcasting and, uh, and the animal family. So uh, this is all the time I got... Out of his, uh, out of him, and his busy schedule. Hey, two podcasts this year at the very least with Stuart Sutherland. You know, we got this one and uh, pending Christmas one at the end of this year. So we got two. We got him back for two, man. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we'll take a musical break, listen to some uh, score from Drive, and there's going to be some notes on the score uh, at the end of the review as well. Uh, but we'll be right back in thirty seconds or so. And welcome back, and the review of this episode is Drive from 1997. A plot from the Far East Films review of the film goes as follows. Mark Dacascos is Toby Wong, a prototype-enhanced human on the run from the corporation responsible for creating the technology implanted in his chest. He is trying to reach some people who will purchase the module and allow him to free himself from its torment. Along the way, he is forced to take a hostage, uh, the character of Malik, played by Kadim Hardison, to help him drive to LA where he can meet his buyers. And along the way, they meet Brittany Murphy as well in the middle of the movie, a motel, a motel, a little wacky motel uh, owner, I suppose. So. Uh, but uh, as you may have heard during this show, Stuart, if you listen in every now and again, we do brief opinions first before we launch into our discussion. So in short, what do you want to say about Drive? It's, it's a lot of fun for what it is, really. Uh, I mean, watch, this is maybe my second time watching it originally. Originally? Maybe not quite... Not the right use there of that word, but I think I did watch it a few years ago after renting the DVD because that was always one of those ones that managed to elude my grasp. Like when looking in charity shops and secondhand DVD stores, could never fucking find a copy of Drive. Like when we were on the trail of the Hong Kong legends labeled and you would find them in secondhand stores, Mm -hmm. Drive was never one that was easily available. Interesting. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it might as well have been a Hong Kong Legends DVD. I, I think officially it's Medusa, but it's. It, I think it's the crew, production crew, who put together Hong Kong Legends special editions, put together that one early on in yeah, the life of Yeah, it did um, feel like it was in the same lineage as that. I would have thought it was under the impression of maybe this was before they went to Hong Kong Legends or there's something they were trying, because it felt like the, the production value behind the release like really mimicked like the Hong Kong legend like the the way that the menus the way they cut the trailer for the UK DVD things like that you could you knew it was sort of the same label 
Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not an, not an ill fit as such. So, um, but uh, the DVD availability we'll get to as well at the end of the uh, end of the review. Uh, I, I remember getting it fairly early on in Hong Kong Legends Live. It's like, uh, oh, I got the Island of Fire. Once upon a time in China, Drive. I've heard good things about free DVDs. Is all I can afford right now. Those. Oh, those are the ones that were good to go. Uh, but anyway, as for my quick opinion, I'll repeat myself as, as I did, as I spoke of in the intro. It's 20 years old and still, for my money, is worth the best Hong Kong action movie produced in the West. But it's actually a movie that ha- has and crafts qualities that is very much its own too, especially the director's cut that uh, we watched. Uh, so it's not this uh, copycat of uh, look at all the moments from Jackie Chan and Jet Li we copied. No, it's uh, it's a Monte <laughs> Cascos vehicle and uh, and a little prototype rush hour that so few movies saw. And I mean, prototype rush hour is in the vein of, you can say in the vein of everybody cop comedy from 80s and onwards, but uh, I guess that's a question. Like, how do you feel like that key element of uh, chemistry between the Cascos, which is a, normally a straight man, action man, versus Kadeem Hardison, who is known to be a comedian, so an I- improv comedian? Do you think that key element uh, works and is even fun and laugh out loud fun? Yeah, I, definitely. Between them, like the Cascos, did really have like the hard face, like at times almost robotic, but. That's more or less down to the hardware that he's carrying in his chest. But yeah, no, the Malik is like he was great. It made me think why I hadn't seen him in more stuff. But it might not be a case of him having such a good role. Like he might have been in several films I've seen, but not have may not have been one of the main leads of the film. Yeah, I remember one of the credits might have been, and I'm not looking now just because sometimes you have to take a shot in the dark and trust your memory. He might have been in White Man Can't Jump in some shape or form. Obviously not the lead, that was Wesley, but um, he might have been. But uh, based on what's going on here, he is one of these comedians that he does ad lib and he does, you know, he screams and rants, but there is a sort of calm factor to how he is acting and how he is uh, interacting with uh, people, whether it's Mark, whether it's his uh, ex-wife and all of that, then some of the ad-libs are damn funny, man, because at one point, he uh, Mark Tocascos holds him at gunpoint in the car and he tries to grab his cigarette and uh, Mark, like, cocks the gun or whatever, no, 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 go for my cigarette, so you see him go for something and then he picks up a pack of raisins Instead of the cigarettes, and he picks it up. <laughs> oh, my cigarettes! Oh no, no, that's a pack of raisins. Oh, it's a cigarette. It's a cigarette. Cigarettes, man. And <laughs> all of that could have been so forced, uh, done to please. You know, let's just echo someone else who did this well. But th- there is, I-, I like the two because Mark is asked to be a little bit more deadpan when he's mm-hmm. comedic versus Kadim's like comedic energy uh, is. Uh, they, they're good together, and also when, when shit turns real, as we'll maybe hint upon, both of them know, because the characters are good and smart like that, that now is not the time to throw in a quip or anything. Like, uh, when shit is serious, you gotta be a, be a human and show some human emotions, man. Mm-hmm. They'd be a cheeseburger, man. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that insult, I don't know if that's a 1997 hardcore insult, like, he's such a cheeseburger, man, he's not a cheeseburger, he's totally a cheeseburger, I've never heard that in my life. Right. You feel, that that's the sort of insult you can throw around in like a PG or a 12, but no, this is, there, there's quite a lot of F-bombs dropped in this, so the fact that he, he's been quite kind enough just to cry him a cheeseburger... It, it, it almost sounds like, okay, instead of turd sandwich, what do we say? Well, yeah. cheeseburger. No one gets offended by that, right? In, mm-hmm. the, in the Bible Belt. <laughs> we can show uh, this in the Bible Bag Belt. Bag too much. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, go, going back to the fact that this is Hong Kong in style, I mean, some movies, especially in the 90s, would sometimes come out with a blurb or statement on screen, uh, especially if they had a big commercial agenda. This didn't. This is a relatively low-budget movie. But some movies, they were going for the Hong Kong style because it was hip. It would be a response to something that broke big before them, whether done in Hong Kong or after, for instance, when Jackie broke in America with Rumble in the Bronx. And sometimes it's worked out well, man. The Matrix, I think, is an argument where it worked out well. The Hong Kong style was brought in very efficiently. And, uh, I mean, the Wachowski sort of knew what they were going for. And they were able to argue that 
this is what it needs to look like. Because if you bring in you warping, you can't start messing around with that vision. Then you have the flip side, in my opinion, where, you know, when, when Jets movies came out in America, I mean, this can work, tapping into an African-American audience demographic pair and pair, pair a leading man up with an Asian action star. That mm. can work, man. But I don't remember any of Jet Li's American-made movies being at all special and somewhat just ludicrous in terms of what action they threw on screen. Remember Romeo Must Die? Yep, and you get cradled to the grave. and That felt forced to me, and I don't remember any particularly good chemistry. I don't remember in, in terms of Romeo Must Die and uh, Jet's chemistry with uh, Ilea. I don't remember her name. I think she passed yeah. on. But I don't remember any good chemistry in Cradle to the Grave, for certainly with uh, DMX. Is that his name? Yeah. DM, DMX rather than BMX? That's it. Drive is a small production, man. And small productions sometimes have the... They can afford, maybe not big budget, but they can afford to present a much bigger sort of vision without interference. And Steve Wang, the director and his um, action director, Koichi Sakamoto, they were a fan of Hong Kong movies, man. But that's not the automatic recipe to um, to succeed, of course. You have to bring it to the screen. You have to bring it in style to the screen. And uh, you also have to uh, bring your own sort of um, voice to it as well. You can't just copy it and expect it to do well so uh does that still work you think that, that you know you know action is sometimes not very well shot nowadays but going back to 1997 and looking at what you see here with wires and gunplay and hand-to-hand combat is this does this seem like hong kong style to you when you watch it and is it uh is it at all any fun seeing it in a western movie this way it definitely is actually a lot of fun um and it does easily reflect like the, the hong kong style of a screen fighting that we're, we are, me and you are well used to. It's sort of like, it just kind of takes you back. I would look like a, a FaceTime call, but also had like, it's carrying around a hard drive and a flower patterned fucking cigarette case. Yeah, well, it's it's supposed to be sci-fi, this movie, in a, in a, exactly. in a way. So they're, they're sort of, okay, what seems sci-fi? Well, a mini-disc, essentially, in, in what you just said, this... Uh, this uh, little uh, flower, flowery, uh, flowery uh, container that contains your pre-recorded FaceTime call, but but that's not their fault, obviously. It's uh, I it, know the really the action when you get to see Mark throwing out like a, a flurry of kicks where he's he's taking three people at once. It it makes you think back to like Donnie Yen and Iron Monkey and lots of fast action, fucking people jumping across the room, uh, diving across the room, seeing Mark. The chaos, the chaos, doing like oh, gymnastics out of, to get out, out away from bad guys at a motel. His um, posture, the way he dives, and where there's no cuts, you clearly see Mark was doing these acrobatics, jumping off a balcony, and fucking landing on his feet. Looking back, then you could clear it. Like the boy's impressive. He's impressive. He's super acrobatic, and uh, I even read some crap on IMDb. Uh, and thankfully, those boards are going to get shut down soon because <laughs> they're uh, going to be going. So. Yeah, so so where are the trolls going to go? But pe- people were just sort of like, "Hey, Mark the Cascos, he he didn't do anything." I read that they just reshot everything and he did the close-ups. No bullshit, man. What they did is they worked like twenty-four hours a day with different units, and occasionally someone else stepped in from Alpha Stunts to perform a few seconds here and there. Just like Jackie Chan did in many in many movies. Uh, occasionally, some fighting moves and stunts, they're not him because it's in order to move forward. If you want to make 10 movies a year, you, sometimes you need a body double. Exactly. But not even for... Co- so sometimes it's not for complicated stuff. Seemingly, it's for stuff that Mark can do, but for the sake of moving forward and giving him a break for... Uh, that half an hour or hour it takes to shoot those couple of shots get get someone else in there it's it's not nothing uh, you because he can do so much man mark is super impressive in this movie you mm-hmm. I, I i think given time if this would have been a big more big budget production longer production time he would have done it all i think because there's only sel- uh, considering how acrobatic he looks i think he would have been up to doing close to all if not uh, everything in this movie unless it's uh, stunt heavy, maybe. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. how, how comfortable he was with stunts necessarily. Uh, but but you, you know, to, to, talking action that has sort of de- 
you know, it has regressed it in a way because often, after 1997 and onwards, there was this change by something, some movie, where the uh, handheld and style with quick edits started to take over mm-hmm. both Western and Eastern movies. And I've never been able to pinpoint where it came from. Someone said maybe Saving Private Ryan triggered that but saving private ryan is good like that sequence yeah. with the shaky camera like it's shot by a world war ii documentarian almost that's good mm. but there's been you know su- such a reliance on a frenzied shaky camera shooting style ah, and, yeah. i think everyone thinks it was popularized with like the born movies i hear they all singled out yeah and uh that uh so that always seems to be the first example of shaky cam like it's Nowadays, a lot of people are surprised that they're pulling away from it with like films like John Wick. Yeah, I was about to ask, like, even Hong Kong film fans single out John Wick as, my God, something's happened. Like, where, where, would, where did this come from? Who allowed them to do this? It's almost as if they would just have a stationary camera and it, it just has a scope of the living room and it just lets you watch him fight from one side of the room to the other with no cuts. And you're like, I'd imagine to see fucking bodies with GoPros being flung about the room and... Like, just to see some motion sickness, at least. Mm-hmm. But, oh, it's weird. It, that's it. We're at the stage now where when people don't use shaky cam, we notice it more. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it's shocking, almost. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't think of many examples where this... Uh, I mean, when I see John Wick, I got it, like, last weekend for five bucks uh, at, uh, on iTunes. So it's like, I'm getting that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it does happen, you're right. You... Whoa. Here we are. This, this, it doesn't take me back where I like long for everything to be like the nineties or whatever. But when it's done right, it's moving us forward. I remember shoot them up doing very well in that regard. Yes, uh, uh, Clive Owen, and it, it was fun. It wasn't like we're doing John Woo like us, please. But it was mm-hmm. fun. And Samuel's work of late, I think, is very impressive in the Bodyguard and certainly Call of Heroes. Um, it's verging on. It looks shaky, but. He actually pulls it in quite well, and so certainly choreographs some great stuff for himself. If you're not seeing the bodyguards, do do, do yourself a favor and uh, and watch that because the few action scenes that are in there are very impressive by a sixty plus year old man, and also uh, the drama is uh, quite worthwhile, I think. I I that's I keep an eye out, uh, but I think it just comes down to availability in the UK now. I've limited myself when it comes to uh, international imports. The lack of multi-region players now. I wouldn't be surprised if it did come up, uh, come up at least on uh, UK iTunes, even if not on disc. Then ah, you, definitely, you... we are we are quite spoiled with what they'll throw up streaming now. Uh, so, so yeah, to see this in Drive, and therefore Drive has uh, survived so well because uh, its its choices aren't so nineteen ninety seven, but rather its choices are. The, the choices you have to put in there to make it to make it coherent but and the camera is still very active man the camera moves up and down through the side and follows the action but it mm-hmm. it follows it in a very steady way and you're never confused as to what is going on here and uh, and i think my favorite part of the action in general is seeing mark the cascos in his various fisticuffs using both fists and kicks and uh, flips mm-hmm. in his various takedowns throughout the movie, you know, starting from scene one and uh, and, and the very last scenes. It's, it's just great. And I mean, he should be a big star. And his, and his exposure, I think, has probably been, you know, in movies, it's been okay. And TV, possibly even better. I heard he had maybe a recurring role on Hawaii Five-0. I've never seen it. But uh, the working habit of someone like Mark DeCascos has always been there ever since the 90s. And he's developed... I think his acting skills, I think his acting skills are quite suitable and sufficient for this movie, especially in the longer version. And I think his work ethics has always been great. And you never hear someone say a bad thing about Mark DeCascos. Uh, he uh, seems like genuine, the genuine thing and uh, not uh, someone who's a pain to work with and a diva or whatever. When you can get that vibe from someone personally, then... It's no wonder why you like him in films. That, that's why I like Keanu, man. Like, I know Keanu Reeves is an uneven actor, but I love him as a person. You know, all those stories you hear about him being good as a person, that makes me so... I'll buy a ticket for his movies any day, day of the week, man, because you don't hear of good persons as much anymore. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. uh, rooted persons uh, and all of that. You you, you mentioned that um, 
you know, he's so gymnastic and so acrobatic, the character of uh, Toby Wong. And normally mm. in Hong Kong movies, man, you don't question that characters are these gun supermen, right? You don't question that Giant Fat is this good. But Drive makes the clever point that, that there is a there is a reason why Toby Wong is this good. Why he can predict moves, why he can react so well, because of the device in his, uh, in his heart. And I think that was delightful and delightfully clever that we got a reason, man. And now we can do the action we like because he's capable of that. You know what I mean? Like, so did, did you ever think of that or that that was just something that you registered and you went with the flow of the movie that, well, he's a, super, he's a Superman. That's fine. I've seen Chai Fat do this too. It kind of demystifies it because at first, like, you get my pinches. Everyone's fucking kung fu fighting superhero in some films, but the people around him were quite questioning, like, man, why, how is he this good? And then eventually says, well, he's pretty much a Terminator. There's a reason. Yeah, and even he gets exhausted. Uh, sometimes he needs to uh, sort of uh, recharge by uh, having very deep sleeps <laughs> at points. Mm-hmm. And and I've never seen, I can't remember many movies where they brought that up. Like, well, we have a reason now, and uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun with it, but not going to make it a centerpiece of it. They never open him up. Terminator style, mm-hmm. and we see his inside, like exactly. Uh, it's, the, it's just is what it is. Um, one thing that's delightful and sort of hard to buy is the other double act in the movie uh, John Piper Ferguson and Tracy Walter, as uh, the two assassins, kung fu fighting assassins that are chasing, you know, and uh, they're hi- hired to, uh, to catch him, bring him to Hong Kong, and get the reward. John Piper Ferguson is terrific. He really, he actually reminded me a lot of, what's, he, what's his name? Gary Oldman in the Dracula movie. Just something about the long fucking hair just really made me think back to Gary Oldman. That's a, that's a, wonderful, that's a wonderful reference. And uh, Piper Ferguson, JPP, if you will. He is, uh, he just looks the part, I think that's his real long hair. It must be. I, I don't think that's extensions. Uh, but regardless, like his long hair, his cowboy hat, he's such a despicable guy. And he's wonderful at also, you know, when he plays a coward in front of the police, like, I've got a wife and kid. <laughs> oh, I think he almost mimics himself as well. Yeah, he, he grabs his groin. And then, and then <sighs> you hear like this thing on the soundtrack when he switches, you know, to this menacing look. And But mm-hmm. to have him paired up with Tracy Walter, which is a very reliable character actor. I remember him from Repo Man, out of all places, the Emilio Estevez movie. You know. And uh, that guy is supposedly as skilled as JPP, but we never see it, right? Because no. he's an old guy. He's in his 50s by this point, I think. So we just find out he has an appetite. He eats in every damn scene, man, and you wouldn't think <laughs> that he would have the stamina to uh, to wrestle with Mark DeCascos, and that's because it's not his stamina put to the test, it's the stuntman <laughs> of Tracy's. <laughs> I don't know if they just said, fuck it. He's, he's a funny actor. Let's mm. just put him together. Audiences are just in it for the fun. They're not going to sit there and poke holes in the plot that that old man can't do what's actually on screen you know i mean did you think of it or you you just went with that as well that these are the guys they do that stuff yeah i i, I never second guessed it it just really took it for what it was yeah yeah it's just entertaining man I, as serious as it gets this movie at points it's just it's just a uh, pure escapism uh, but there's even some mild satire and some commentary on the state of um television in this movie because in one scene they're watching this show of um ah, the, the, these girls exactly that uh, yeah the, these girls that beat up this um uh, these guys it looks like a wrestling ring like a or a ufc type of cage match yeah i and and jpp says he watches that and it looks kind of lame and he complains that this shit used to be better man i mean they they used to have better criminals in there and uh, it's just gone down the tube. And then Tracy wants to watch the other show that everyone likes. Walter. <laughs> Walter, the Einstein frog. That's it. Which is actually something I think Steve Wang and crew created for this show. I, I definitely had. No, I was a, a wee afternoon's work for the B crew, I'd imagine. 
Well, Steve has a background in uh, in monster design and things like that. I mean, he's worked on, I think, the Predator movie, possibly uh, possibly one of the Alien movies, but uh, definitely the Predator movie. And uh, so he, he's got a background in uh, sculpting and special effects mm-hmm. uh, designs. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he designed a frog. But I think it's a funny thing because TV is this silly, man. I mean, you you hear sometimes, you know, announcement of shows that this is what this show is about. And... I don't think Walter the Einstein frog that can diagnose the president's son with pancreatic cancer. Exactly. Is all that far-fetched because TV is what it is. You have to look for new premises no matter how bizarre they are sometimes, you know. Uh, so what else? Uh, any particular any particular favorite moments, for instance, uh, out of the... Um, out of the big fight at the construction yard in the middle of nowhere when uh, Toby Wong and Malik are uh, cuffed together uh, because we got a lot of Hong Kong influence here including uh, stuntmen taking uh, taking uh, hard falls and all of that so any particular moments bring to mind during this big scene? I, I, I'm not sure whether it's just my I didn't really feel say narrow-minded but uh, the action where Mark has to use his environment to basically save him and uh, Kareem's bacon. Like, obviously, they're cuffed together, so he has to use his environment to get through these guys. It reminded me a lot of, like, what Jackie Chan would do with his environment and fighting. So I wanted to have, like, a better example than just, oh, it's like Jackie Chan. I want to be something a little bit more intelligent than that. But it, it's sort of, that was what it was. He was using his environment to his advantage. He was jumping over the dude. That one moment where he tried to go for like a flying kick, but to re- remember that he's handcuffed to this dude, only to be fucking pulled and hit the ground like that. Cut with that, that fucking shot looked like oh, that would have been a sore landing. But yeah, you you obviously can't get padded up, but still, it it's a hard. It looks like a hard landing, and it's a laugh out loud moment as well. Like, cause he is like Mister Fucking Kung Fu fighting, and then all of a sudden, like his brick wall standing right beside him. Yeah, it, it's it's wonderfully time moment, really, because uh, you don't expect it. It's been so perfect, you know. He can kick things onto stuntman, and uh, you know he his reaction time and his uh, ability to see things uh, one two steps ahead is obviously mm-hmm. top notch. So. Uh, that that works so well, and I loved it a little bit. I think they cut this from the general release version, where they're gonna uh, zip line down from uh, the construction site, and and he says, Toby says, like, uh, get the bucket, and Kadim picks out the bucket, but the actual zip thing that they were gonna attach to then slides down. So he stands there. Why did you want the bucket? <laughs> and. It, that's the sort of thing that I think Rush Hour never really got right because Rush Hour, I like certain moments of Chris Tucker, but I'm not a big fan of his. Rush Hour sort of just really relied on being loud. And mm. uh, I never really, as good as their chemistry is in the first movie, at least, Rush Hour. I don't know. I just like things to be a little bit more un- understated and dry sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. And and Kadim, I think, is good at that. That he is, you know, he's got his zingers and his one-liners, but it's never annoying to me, you know. Or what did you think? Like, even if he didn't laugh, did was it ever grating his his sort of a, a loud-spoken act? No, no, he was. There was nothing really annoying about his his character or his acting. Really, it was. There, there's moments where I always want to compare him to someone else, but it kept maybe it was just the accent or the way he was. Train himself, but it really made me think back to Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. I, I think that might just be purely down to his accent, possibly, but just the way the way his banter worked, the way like how he dealt with situations and talked to folk. It really made me think to think to someone else. Well, well, well. Chris is good at bringing it down as well. I mean, he's, he's super funny, but uh, Chris is very good at uh, playing it, underplaying it, and and also bringing out the sort of human aspects of certain of his characters too which which we get in this movie i mean the, when when they find they, they go to malik's uh, well his ex-wife's uh, house to uh, uh, get some power tools and uh, manage to mm-hmm. uh, uh, detach from each other that way and and the scene where the, obviously the ex-wife comes home and he plays out cheeseburger is a cheeseburger blah 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 but there are moments and i think that speaks to mark's interest in this project and his interest in the script that he notices that you know the wife is look peering out for behind the curtains checking that they're leaving okay and he makes that 
estimation that, and it's estimate that you shouldn't let this go. I think she might still be in love with you. And he doesn't get super defensive about that stuff. Mm-hmm. He just sort of absorbs and moves on, you know, and uh, I, I I like that. And uh, But there are certain, obviously, super funny moments where he's, he's describing the bio engine and his chest, and at one point as they're driving away, like, I don't believe this fire engine story. Bio engine! So they have a little, they have a little, uh, little back and back and forth there. And even you know, and, and that's why I think the script is quite clever at points. They, they even have some banter on the road because it's a part road movie where where they talk of stereotypical depiction or view of the east from the west, and even stereotypical view of the west from the east. Did 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 you memorize that all the, the sort of uh, dialogue they had back and forth there? If you even uh, made a note of it. Yeah, no, definitely. Like when it was more or less just saying to him that is every fucking tea house in Hong Kong seconds away from a kung fu fight, and they're saying that's more or less well, their same depiction of Americans, but as a lot less classier, almost. Yeah, I mean they 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 touch upon both cliches really, and I think that's that's clever because he seems like like hey, is everybody kung fu fighting? But he he he's he's coming more from, and he actually say that says that. Well, that's the sort of perspective I've been fed. Um, exactly. So um, so so our view from uh, from America is like you all got tiny feet and you kick the shit out of each other, and Mark re- re- replies back with, well, our view of you is that you've got big feet and you fight each other less gracefully. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and I don't know, I think that's more balanced than you expect sometimes. You you almost expect that, uh, you know, it, it might come back to rush hour sometimes where it's not always super sensitive. I mean, it's it's done, mm-hmm. it's, it's fun, it's escapism entertainment, but it's not always the best and clever dialogue you've heard and in terms of uh, you know the antagonism that takes place between a character from the west and east and they sort of touch upon cliches and in the end they become friends but i always thought that rush hour didn't really come up as very uh thought through it's about like a little bit old hat in terms of the jokes that you put forth uh, but that's just what i thought i mean i like rush hour but it's not a classic to me or anything Speaking of hit and miss, uh, how do you think uh, Brittany Murphy's performance works here? Because I think uh, it's a little make or break uh, inclusion in the movie for certain certain, certain Aye, she, folks. She is very out there. It's probably the easiest way for me to describe it. She does help them more or less get from A to B, right, from where they need to get to anyway. But I, she was the strange third wheel that got added. Who was fucking off her tits on something? She, she she's a strange character, right? I I'm not particularly keen on the performance, but it, it doesn't ruin the film or anything. Yeah, uh, she she is this overly keen character, and I, I suppose it works in a way in her scenes with Kadeem Hardison because she brings this different comedic energy that catches his character off guard. Aye, <laughs> he takes a step back and. Maybe obviously because she's so eager and almost over sexualized sexualized. Yeah. That she's um and and she seems a bit a little bit off as well and uh, slight slight airhead slight even mentally challenged medication lack of yeah and and even the, the, there's no one else there it seems like um to to oversee uh, her oh, it did seem a wee bit like a little bit Bates Motel like luckily neither of them went for a shower yeah exactly I seem to remember though I might be wrong I'm taking a shot into the dark as well from watching the special features uh, I, I didn't this time but I did before originally she might have been written as someone underage right so that might still be there in in the acting that Kadim does where he sort of he's not gonna accept those advances oh, like Christ this is a kid get away from me yeah, yeah. It's, and she's almost like a kid trying to act sexy for the first time in certain um in certain scenes, you know, uh, but 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 there is it's surreal almost how her synapses fire. Um, that that is amusing because uh, at one point, you know, you know, are you crazy? Okay, you know, she, she she agrees to anything. If I'm crazy, I'm crazy, of course. And um, so I don't know. It's you don't want to talk trash about the dead, of course. Uh, you know, she's no longer with us, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. But it, and she, she was a very, very accomplished actress, in my opinion. But the, the performance here is, uh, it's a little bit make or break for the supporting section that 
she is part of you know she she isn't part of the finale and all of that she's the, in the middle section and the, it, the the thing I take away from it is that it it, it almost seems like real life that Kadeem Hardison is he doesn't he doesn't know how to react to these ad libs because it seems mm-hmm. like Britain is ad libbing uh, every now and again so uh, if you can make the guy who's been the verbal guy and a comedic energy sort of stump stumped then I think you're doing you're doing a good job there is some terrific clever bits in the hotel and it's choreographed often in extremely small rooms mm-hmm. and uh, so b- before I do my notes uh, any particular um, any particular thing stood out as Mark DeCasco's uh, dispatches of all these guys in um, very tiny rooms uh, versus electrical batons as well yes I, uh, this, this must have been on offer because it looks like everyone got one it was when they first like breached the room, the cascos kind of seal in the window. The first thing he does is uses like his his right leg to just kick Brittany Murphy off the bed into safety. Whips her out the road, throws out the mattress, fights a couple of boys. Like so much, so much furniture was destroyed. And even moments like I love little moments like when he just basically just it's very Jackie Chan days basically just kicks a furniture onto a stunt piece of furniture onto a stuntman and the stuntman falls over that particular uh, particular uh, piece of furniture and that stuff man I can't say I can't just express how much I think that is delightful when those beats happen uh, Jackie did it so well where he just started sliding chairs back and forth and tripping over his stuntman that way and creating the ballet of using chairs and tables and his environments and sliding down shit and uh, you know it's it's as good i think uh, and and the grace that they uh, you know mark moves with grace but and the choreography is messy but also has an element of grace and, uh, and to choreograph it in such small environments man is it's totally admirable yes. i think and and the rubber boots solution i think is ingenious you know <laughs> definitely which is, uh, I don't know, it's it, not something you should spoil, I suppose, uh, because it's um, it's a surprising move in terms of, you know, action content and choreography. So, uh, but 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 I love little uh, beats like before, just before the rubber boot solution. Like you don't catch all of this stuff, but it's just wonderful how he takes a knife and and you know cuts the laces of a shoe of a shoe of the one of the one of the henchmen and the stuntman, and that stuff moves so fast, man. Like. And then he's got the boots, man. So, and and I think the JPP has some uh, has some gold in this scene. I love when he smashes the reception, essentially the reception area, looking for key- keys. Where's the key box? Oh, I'll put my fist through it. There we <laughs> <Exactly>. go. Where's <laughs> the key? Who needs it? <laughs> I love that because, and after that, you know, he realizes he got the right keys. He just sits down and just says, "Who says violence is not the answer?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, I, I like that. Uh, I like that so much. In, and in these scenes, you can see more of the Mark DeCasco's doubling if you look carefully. But it's it's never it's never. Um... I doesn't see more. Yes. No, n- never. I mean, they 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 got one of the Japanese guys for sure, but still, it's never obvious. But how do you think drama plays a part of this? Uh, because it is a funny movie, but you've got Toby Wong's reasoning for doing what he's doing there's emotional reasoning so how do you think drama plays a part of this when they do slow down after lots of action and leading into the finale to be honest it really takes like a back seat to the other elements of this film i mean of course we do they have to progress the plot so when you're watching drive it it kind of to me which sounds silly is like one of the least important elements which well that's the story of course that's the <laughs> it's the main element but I mean, there's only one big scene, really. It is the night scene in the car where, you know, he can't find his video message and Malik has picked mm-hmm. it up. And, uh, you know, Mark has his uh, monologue about who she was. And uh, I emphasize was. So, so I guess I'm asking in terms of that scene, did, did that enhance, you know, anything in terms of like, giving him a reason for doing what he's doing? I guess so, because really at first it gives you the impression that he's really just going for money. Like he's got this... Chip, he's found seller. Oh, he's found a buyer. If like Malik could get him, and he's happy to split like five million with him. And like we all know that like, he's got this video message. At that point, it's obvious. But it did seem like this boy was looking for a payday. 
Yeah, and and this adds that, and this was actually lost in the shorter version. Totally, they right. they they changed motivation for him essentially, and I, I think having this scene here is good for reasoning. And um, but I think Steve Wang, after Marcus had his monologue, which is a perfectly sufficiently performed uh, monologue, and he looks emotional, but without resorting to melodrama. And but but after the line that Mark says, I couldn't save her. Steve Wang, the director, lets the scene sort of breathe in silence. And that's it. You know, he's not there to overstate matters. Kadeem doesn't, like, pat him on the back like, it's going to be all right, man. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And and they continue to talk about it. No, these are two guys that just... The moment has to sort of be silent from this point on, mm. you know. Um, and to lose that scene, I think, is a rather criminal for the movie because Steve Wang didn't atten- intend to portray a mercenary and uh, someone looking for a payday that wasn't the intent so this scene sort of needs to be here man and and, and it doesn't slow the movie down but um i don't have many other notes instead instead of instead of uh, talking of uh, all of the action obviously towards the end i have to say that after this drama the movie realizes it's it's still pretty ludicrous so the the final setting of the apollo 14 bar <laughs> and grill that isn't in a Aye. city Stuart. it's not in a city this is in the middle of nowhere. In desert. And it's it's a CG exter- exterior, but <laughs> I thought that was ludicrously, w- but wonderful that they, out in the middle of nowhere, like almost from dusk till dawn style, you know, finding mm-hmm. this bar that looks like this. This uh, space station bar and grill. I think the movie is just sort of saying that, let's laugh again. You know, what, what kind of bar can we uh, come up with? Well, how about a space bar? Exactly. If we have an American martial arts film, that's kind of as a B-movie feels like, where can we have a final fight sequence that's just fucking out of this world? And uh, what do you think of the finale? That runs a fair amount of minutes, but it, it's not... There's stuff going on. Yeah, but but it is, it's not just one thing that takes 20 minutes. They do a lot of stuff. I mean, there's bike stunts here and stuff, so... Uh, exactly. There, there's, there's contacts, like the the big businessman who gets his his fucking glass pint shot out of his hands. That's it. When you get who I'm just going to refer to as like this Terminator character in a trench coat and sunglasses for him to do something, and then half a dozen dudes and motorbikes come flying in. Yeah, Mark, uh, Mark uh, version two essentially. That that's what the story dictates. That to send in mm-hmm. another that has bring in the T one thousand. Exactly, that has an even better implant. Um, but uh, he's actually controlled externally by by the corporation. And Mark isn't. You know, they can't you know, boost his powers externally. Uh, he's not Wi Fi enabled yet. <laughs> they were before their time, man. This movie. <laughs> it's Wi Fi enabled. What's Wi Fi? It's gonna make sense in ten years. <laughs> But uh, any particular highlights from uh, from the busy uh, busy finale? The, the fucking, the, I guess the stunt work that goes into all the, the choreographing with working with the dudes on the motorbikes, like when they're tucking into the stairs to let them drive over them, or when they're taking hits. That's a lot of dangerous work going. It's certainly no hard boiled in terms of its sequence, but it does rather mm-hmm. rather well actually, and uh, and shows that they have ideas rather than just. Uh, Put out another martial arts fight and then and then we'll go home. Uh, I adore the exchanges between um, I think he's uh, the, the Japanese actor Masaya Kato possibly. The exchanges between him and Mark are so delightful and continues to be delightful. This aspect uh, as they fight hand to hand and also the stunt work involving you know uh, he kicks Mark back at one point and he falls over the bar. And that tumble over the bar, that's stuff that I absolutely love because that's hard, man. That's difficult Aye. to... He doesn't just throw him over the bar, but he, ha- he has to tumble over it, you know. And wh- whoever did it, you know, I don't know if Mark did that necessarily, but uh, it's just wonderful. And he, there's some makeshift weapon recreated, so there's a little bit of a weapons fight going on here. And, uh, and, and all those... Uh, I don't know how to describe that, but you know how Mark does these sort of... Um, he has a little bit of Fist of Fury going on here, but... Ah, the spinning technique. It's sort of like not like... I would say it's like a Tai Chi thing where they kind of build up the momentum to deliver the punch. Yeah, and and that spinning technique, I think, is... Uh, it looks cool, man. It actually looks so cool. And and also, I mean, he addresses this in the commentary, Kadeem Hardison and the character does, but at one point, uh, JPP uh, 
uses a whip against Kadeem Hardison and uh, he uh, he tries to choke him with the whip, which he comments on. But JPP's language and one-liners gets <laughs> filthier and more nasty as the movie and frustration in the character grows. I know. What was it you could refer to him as? Something like, I'm going to milk you like a dairy cow? You remind me of a dairy cow and I'm milking you. I'm milking you. <laughs> yes, that's quite, well, okay. <laughs> that was definitely something. Yeah, he has said, you know, Kadim's character, even, you know, when he has him at gunpoint, you know, what were you thinking? Like whipping and milking a black man or a brother or whatever he says. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's not necessarily politically correct, but he gets his comeuppance, I suppose. That's a character he's into. He, he's not mild about it, that, that character. Uh, funny as hell and also uh, despicable, obviously. Uh, so yeah man I mean I only have one minor minor note to sort of uh, end it all and I'm going to talk a little bit about the director's cut but uh, I'll, I'll let you have the floor if you want to mention any highlights from either beginning middle or end of the movie or any final words before the action sequence kicked off one scene that I could imagine maybe was edited out of the original cut had to be that that straight out uh, I was going to say straight out of nowhere but karaoke sequence with Mark yeah, I don't know if it was, to be honest, but there was more in the script about, um, possibly in one of the deleted scenes that uh, that is on the DVD too, uh, uh, externally from the movie, that his brother might have been a singer or something like that. They had something in the script about him being able to sing too, but I don't know, I found it delightful that, uh, well, they're, friend, they're friends, man. Exactly, and lightened, well, lightened the mood. It was because they were still sitting with the businessmen. That give him like the down payment of like five hundred thousand, and they're all friends. They're having beers. And next thing up, next thing you know, he's up there, and they make comments saying it was as if like, does he know what those lyrics mean to the songs he's singing? And I was trying to listen to it, but I couldn't figure out. It was, <laughs> I'm not sure if I doubt it was derogatory in any way, but maybe if he was singing about a. Well, I, well, I know he exchanged the name that's in the original song to Malik instead. Like, Malik, why don't you come home? Da, 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 da. But I don't know the song originally, to be honest. Um, no, that's fine. That, that's probably the part I missed. But it was fun just to kind of have that moment of levity before the, the motorcycles come crashing through the windows. Yeah, certainly. That's, that's sort of the type of thing they do before they kill someone off. Like, you see that bonding moment, everyone's happy, man. Life's pretty good, isn't it? And then a motorbike comes through the window and kills the person. But we're at the end of the movie, then. we don't need any more tragedy. It remains fun, even though I think that there, there, is, a, there is a little bit of, you know, excuse the pun, like beating heart of the movie. Um, <laughs> I won't give the context, but I'm, I'm going to say to you, because you know the context, but the, Mark's character attempts a one-liner towards the end, you know, time to blow. <laughs> Karim looks at him time to blow and mm-hmm. as lame as that sounds which most of the things when I try to reference comedic stuff in movies they do sound lame when I say them but I think because they've established so much goodwill and chemistry and a genuine sense of fun those mm-hmm. kind of moments they, they totally work it doesn't stray from the intent of the movie Like we, we can have fun with conventions man they, we don't need to have perfect Schwarzenegger one-liners in here we can have characters that are not used to this stuff and and also by the way i think they, they hint at other things that might have been in the script to a more extensive level they hint at the fact that toby wong is like a movie buff too so he, he says that every now and again you watch too many movies man uh, so maybe it has to do with that little script echo that um, mm-hmm. let, let's use something i learned from i want to do a one-liner yeah, exactly so i like that and and my read of my final note in is sort of because I, I really do, really do like the movie. I think the guys here, Steve Wang and Koichi Sakamoto's action team and everybody, like they, they honor their heroes of Hong Kong cinema. But I think also if their heroes would ever see this movie, you know, the likes of Sam or Jackie or whatever, I think their heroes would be very impressed. Should we talk uh, ever so slightly about uh, the longer version of the film? Go for it. I'm not going to go for every scene. I'm just going to give some basic notes. But the director's cut, and this is one of the cases where this is a director's cut. T2, not necessarily a director's cut. It's James Cameron (laughs) extending it for home video. Just it's it's fun to see. Dawn of the Dead director's cut. It's not. 
it's a, a hastily sort of, um, and I'm talking Romero's uh, Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a hastily sort of put together move, uh, version for the Cannes Film Festival. It's not his preferred cut, but Drive is truly a director's cut because Steve Wang's uh, version um, wa- that he handed to the studio was cut and edited. Uh, they refer it to a general release version, and that version is about 16 minutes shorter than the one we watched, which is about 110 when 112 minutes. The biggest change here, as, as scenes had to go for length, according to the, um, the studio or producers, was removing, as we said, Toby Wong's motivation for trying to escape Hong Kong and getting the bioengine out of his chest. They cut the first scene with the mini-disc uh, video message. They cut the scene in the car where he explains the backstory of his girlfriend dying. That's a shame because that changes the dynamic of the movie. There is also more banter, some small scenes of banter with uh, JPP and Tracy Walter. There's some additional comedic bits with Mark and Kadim after their zipline adventure where they cool their wrists in the uh, barrel of water. That was also cut mm-hmm. from um, from the general release version. And as Steve Wang and one of the crew members they interviewed in the doc said that this wasn't the character I was trying to depict that was present in the general release version. And Another crew member says, in this case, in the case of this movie, more was better because it mm-hmm. was more fleshed out. And, uh, and I think the biggest crime, aside from removing those scenes, was that the score by David Williams was entirely replaced in the general release version. And evidence, uh, you know, point towards that his driven orchestral score was scrapped in favor of a cheaper, more techno-infused synthesizer score because they compare some scenes in the documentary on the Medusa DVD. It sounds way cheaper, man. It was... I don't know why you had to change the score as well. I mean, it's not like it's a specialized avant-garde sort of score or anything. It's a, it's an action score. This was the release on DVD for a while and uh, until... Uh, and video. And until the uh, Medusa DVD came around... Uh, no one had a chance to see what Steve Wang intended, but nowadays people can uh, see what uh, he intended. And uh, obviously, it's the only version you've watched uh, since you only went for a UK DVD when you got it. You didn't search for US market for a exactly. DVD. Mm-hmm. And uh, as for availability, though, you'd think, being so old, that the UK release by Medusa would be out of print and expensive. Well, it might be out of print, but it's actually out there and extremely affordable. Five pounds, three pounds, ninety-nine p in some places. If you look on the Amazon marketplace, and uh, yes, in addition to this being Steve Wang's preferred director's cut of the film, it also has further deleted scenes, audio commentary, and this substantial documentary that was produced uh, for the DVD. And uh, oddly enough, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this on marketplaces that the full frame DVD edition, that's presumably the shorter version. That goes for a substantial amount of money. We're talking £100, £150. And you'd think it would be flipped that that uh, mm-hmm. the DVD is actually good and comes with uh, nuanced context and shit. That would be the one that would be price jacked to hell. But but no. So Stu, if you lose your DVD, you can get it for 99p. <laughs> So uh, so there it is. So do, 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 when you shop and stuff, do, do you look for used prices mostly just to save a couple of pounds here and there being, uh, being a family man? Or... There's a lot of things. Like if I'm really only going to watch it once, what's the difference of buying it with or without the plastic seal? As long as the contents work. And we're at a stage now, like an age nowadays, where if it is broken, you send it back and you get replacement or you get your money back. It's But never really feel properly ripped off anymore it's not like the wild west where you're buying copies off of ebay and then you're having week-long disputes about the like a 99 pence copy of king of comedy you bought wasn't legit yeah who knows there might be cheap bootlegs of this on the marketplace too but it is connected to the actual dvd that's uh, that's uh, legit so if you if you look up mm-hmm. it's it's uh, entry you'll find accompanying uh, buying options so uh, so yeah go get it it's not always on this show and other shows we do Stuart that we talk of things that are available films are readily available well well, even in Hong Kong man, things that are a few that are a few years old only those DVDs go out of print and don't come back again 
So it, it's, it's not our fault, damn it. We try. We try and talk of things that are known and commercial and mainstream, and then the DVDs go DVD go away. Uh, goes away, or the Blu-ray just stays in print for a short while. Drive, man. So a pleasant revisit, I'd say, right? Definitely. Uh, fancy showing it to your podcasting uh, brother in arms. Uh, is that something he would enjoy, you think? I think he would quite enjoy it, actually. Because I always gather that you two are sometimes polar opposite sometimes in terms of what you appreciate. Uh, whenever we have to do uh, maybe like a comparison episode, uh, a versus podcast, we cry it. I'm always more in favour of the original and he's usually more always in favour of the remake. We'll surprise ourselves occasionally. Uh, I think we'd, what we reviewed The Thing last year and part of me is like, man, this is old, it's physical effects, it's, it's got, you'll probably think it's a bit tacky, or when we talked about it, it was like one of the best films he's ever seen. So sometimes he'll knock me on Mars with an opinion that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, that's a, that's a high watermark, right, in terms of physical effects on films. So, so, I'm, so I'm glad he enjoyed that, because... You never know that stuff, though. I, I've shown movies to uh, to to people that are some of my favorites. I think you, you were on the Christmas show. I talked about uh, the Hitcher, which is one of my favorite movies of all yes. time. And uh, I showed someone that, and they thought it was slow. And yes, it is. But come on, it's awesome, obviously awesome. And it was hard to sort of argue that because um, and and then the remake, which is bad in that case, uh, obviously is tighter in feel for modern audiences and stuff so uh cool well we'll just finish it off really quickly with some contact information so this has been podcast on fire on steve wang's drive not the other drive by by uh by nicholas winding or whatever his name is not seen that one not particularly interested either it's all wonder- I, I like nicholas older movies better i like pusher and stuff uh, that's uh, that's the kind of stuff i like but i'll get to that drive eventually but uh, this was steve wang's drive and uh, we're available on podcastonfire.com podcast on fire is the main show talking mostly hong kong cinema old and new but we got other shows on on japanese korean cinema and so forth so make your choice over there email us if you have any questions or feedback we would love to hear from you podcast on fire at googlemail.com Join us over on social media, click the handy buttons at the top of our website leading to Facebook, Twitter, you got a button leading to our iTunes feed, as well as to our Stitcher radio uh, presence. Uh, it leads to a Stitcher website, search us out, but also download applications available from the Apple App Store or Google Play to stream us on the go. And I review a variety of Hong Kong, Taiwanese and uh, Slesian uh, ninja-infused movies at So Good Reviews. Dot com. Not proud of that name, but I have to stick with it. It's just, it's just what it is. <laughs> SoGoodReviews.com, video reviews at SleazyKVideo.com, and my tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. Stu, plugging, films and swearing, where is it? What are you doing, uh, what are you doing here in tw- early 2017? Well, what kind of highlights can audiences expect? Well, let's see. We are, our reviews on the website is, is very sporadic. It's more or less when there is a release of a movie I fancy watching, I will ask for it. And whether they give it to me or not is all what it comes down to. So we were lucky enough to get a copy of Train to Busan, so there should be a written review of that at filmsandswearing.com. From there, you'll be able to have a look at the archive of our reviews, our my Kurt Russell challenge, which I unsuccessfully never managed to finish oh, within why one not? year. Oh, oh, it was in one year. Okay, gotcha. Yes, I, I, it was, it was a New Year's resolution. So, I'd given myself that twelve months to cram in. Were, were you were you watching like the Hateful Eight at like eleven p.m. on New Year's Eve? Like, I'm not gonna make it. It's three hours long. <laughs> I, I think it pretty much was after we'd recorded our Christmas episode where it meant brought up originally. Uh, since then, I ended up watching the Deep Water Horizon. Uh, I think it was. Peter Berg and uh, Mark Wahlberg and Kurt Russell was in was one of the maybe like the third big cast member in there besides like the likes of John Malkovich and a few other faces. Uh, Ethan Suplee was in there as well, I think. That was one less on the list. I think I'd watched three quarters of the Best of Times, which was like a a small town football film with fucking like, Kurt Russell and Robin Williams. So I'd, I'd seen three quarters of it and then I had to take one of my sons and settle him. In doing that, I ended up falling asleep on on my son's bed beside him and missing the end of the film. No! No! I was so, so close! 
Well, well, uh, we'll we'll link to all of those uh, all of those things, including the Patreon uh, Patreon uh, site and uh, all of that. So uh, absolutely, so go check him out. He's productive, people. Like uh, we pale some of us compared to Stuart here and his productivity. So good, good on you, good on you, man. And thank you again for taking the time to uh, to to hang out and discuss a little a little movie that we both liked. That's it. It's like coming home and visiting my my original child. Exactly, like he he hasn't done he hasn't done anything, he hasn't grown up, hasn't evolved, hasn't uh, expanded his comfort zone. It's rather sad, but I'll do a show with him anyway. <laughs> from, from your perspective towards mine, uh, no, no, no. But it's been good fun, man, and uh, let's uh, do it again sometime. But in the meantime, this has been Podcast on Fire. I've been Kenny B, and with me was Stuart Sutherland. So send us out, buddy. Um, fuck, I I wasn't expecting that. The, the old just a goodbye will do, man. You don't need to perform. <laughs> No, that's never as far too simple. On on films and swearing, it's always a case of fuck off and tune in next week. <laughs> Till next time.